Well, it's good to be with you here today, uh, standing in front of you on this Halloween weekend. Now, I want to start off with this uh, a symbol between the jack-o'-lantern and the gospel. So imagine that you are, that you get to be a pumpkin. And so God picks you up from the pumpkin patch, and he brings you into his home. Right? He picks you out of all the pumpkins. He washes off all the dirt on the outside, which you had picked up from being around all the other pumpkins in the patch. He cuts off the top of you, and he takes out all of that messiness, all of that gunk and the, the gross stuff. He removes the seeds of sinfulness from your life. And then he carves into you a nice smile. Now, after all that is said and done, he takes his light and puts it inside of you so that you may shine for all to see. Happy Halloween. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this time and this space. God, we uh, pray that your presence is amongst us here and now, God, that um, the words of my mouth may speak um, your truth and your word, God, to all the hearts here, God. Join us together as we um, open ourselves up to your message and what you would have us learn today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's an old joke. It's so old, in fact, that uh, maybe it's time to kind of bring it back or that it's fallen out of circulation. And it goes that there's a young farmer and he's standing in his or her field and he looks up or she looks up and sees a kind of weird cloud formation in the sky and the words in the cloud show up to be GCP. And the farmer exclaims and thinks that God is calling this young farmer to go and preach Christ, GCP. And so immediately this farmer goes to the uh, leaders of his church or her church and says, I believe that I have a calling from God to preach Christ. And so upon hearing this, they think, oh, this man or this woman has, has a calling. We get sense of, we'll, give him, we'll allow him to speak in a few Sundays. And upon that Sunday when he's preaching or she's preaching, the sermon is virtually incoherent and disorganized and it's long and it's boring and it's just the leaders are unsure and they're, they're stunned as to what is going on. They're like, this person has a calling to preach, but what is happening? Finally, one of the wiser leaders comes up to this young farmer and says, seems to me the clouds are saying, go plant corn. <laughs> now, like the farmer, we sometimes mistake call and are unsure of what God is calling us towards and what we are to do. But beyond just trying to figure out what God has called us to do, there are actually other things that distract us from God's call. And I'd like to introduce two of those things to you. One is wealth, that one of the main talking points that Jesus would always bring up, and this is his second most popular talking point, is wealth. Um, after the kingdom of God, he, he teaches the most on kind of the desires of wealth. Because wealth often takes the place of where Jesus belongs in our lives. Now, a poor person could place wealth before Jesus, and a wealthy person could place Jesus before wealth. But the important thing to consider is what takes, um, what takes precedence, what comes first in our lives, and which has a larger calling over our life, Jesus or wealth. The second thing is ourselves. Us, we're generally um, selfish beings, and I, for one, could definitely say that. Jesus taught about the last being first and the first being last and serving others. And in other words, we're to be the least important person. 
Yet more often than not, we place ourselves higher than God and other people. Think about the acronym JOY, J-O-Y, and that's how we're to live our lives. Jesus, others, and then lastly, yourself, right? Now, we're naturally selfish beings. I want you to imagine that if you went to sleep tonight and in the middle of the night an angel came to you and wakes you up and says to you, tomorrow morning 10,000 people on the other side of the planet are going to die from a tsunami. And you naturally are going to have some anxiety. You're naturally going to feel uncomfortable with that, but not knowing what to do and not having any control over the situation. Um, You're just going to be left in your feelings. Now imagine going to sleep again and that the same angel comes and wakes you up and says, tomorrow morning I'm going to remove the tip of your pinky finger. Now you're probably going to feel some anxiety over that as well. But the thing is, is that when we compare the anxiety that we feel that we're going to lose a tip of our pinky finger with the anxiety we feel about 10,000 people possibly dying on the other side of the earth, the anxiety that we might feel are relatively close. But we know that there's a vast difference between our pinky fingers and 10,000 people. And that's just to demonstrate that we're naturally concerned with our own well-being first. Now, there are many other things that call us away from God's calling And I didn't pick these two things just out of nowhere. Um, These are actually, in our scripture reading, these are actually two stories that are juxtaposed to our scripture reading. The first is that there's, at the beginning of chapter 10 in Mark, there's a rich young man that comes to Jesus and asks him, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commandments. And the, the rich young man says to Jesus, well, I've done that since I was a child. And Jesus says to him, then go and sell all your possessions to the poor, or sell all your possessions and give that money to the poor. And upon hearing this young, rich young man walks away sad because he had many things. And then Jesus famously um, says that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And then in the story right before our verse, uh, James and John, two disciples of Jesus, they um, kind of, go up to Jesus and tell him actually what to do. And they say, Jesus, we would have you do this. And Jesus says, well, what would you have me do for you? And they said, when you come into your glory, let us sit at your right and your left hands. Meaning that when you come into your kingdom, let us be the second and the third most important people in your kingdom. And they're thinking of themselves and what they could gain by following Jesus. Now, as we come into our scripture reading for today, It's no accident that these two stories are placed before our story because it's this blind beggar that teaches us and Mark's readers what it means to answer God's call and what it means to follow Jesus. And as we heard the scripture reading kind of acted out by the the youth and then uh, read by Mike, we're reminded of uh, the story about Bartimaeus Now, this isn't Jesus' first healing. In fact, this is also not Jesus' first time healing a blind man in Mark. Yet this story, this healing story, is vastly different than the other healing stories. Now, of all of the healing stories in Mark, whether Jesus is casting out a demon or healing a child or whatever it might be, only in this story is this man named. 
And this is significant because Mark, the author, must have remembered this man when he's writing his gospel 30 years later. Something about this man and his name stands out to him. Now, we don't know much about this person. He may have been a leader in the early church or it's just something that Mark is trying to get across that he just remembers this person. But the point is not that Jesus could heal a blind person. That's not the point I don't think Mark is making. What Mark has been trying to get across in his first 10 chapters of his gospel is what it means to follow Jesus. And it's in this blind beggar that Mark believes is the perfect example of what it means to follow Jesus. Now Bartimaeus, upon uh, hearing that Jesus is coming through or passing through um, Jericho, this is the only time that Jesus passes through Jericho. And so he has his one shot, his one opportunity. And so he has the courage to shout amongst the crowd to say to Jesus and to make his presence known. And he doesn't try once, he tries twice, right? When he's told to be quiet or to shut up, he's not going to be silenced. And so I like Bartimaeus, right? Now, at first glance, we may think that this story is about a cry to see again. Yet, the first thing that he says is not, Jesus, make me well or make me see again. It's that he cries for mercy. His first cry is a plea of needing Jesus. Now, the beginning of our own faith journey begins with our need for Jesus. Our first call is to recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We, too, need the courage to shout like Bartimaeus and to have the courage to stand up and to be able to say that. Now, next in this story is is what I like to think of as uh, God moments. Now, Bartimaeus receives his sight back, right? Um, But he has this God moment where God has personally stepped into his life and done something extraordinary and magnificent. And it's a time, it's a moment where God manifests God's self in Bartimaeus' life. Now for me, a God moment is um, when I was in middle school, I was attending this other church and um, we were going to a winter retreat and essentially going on this winter retreat were some people from my basketball team. And now... um, they would often bully me about being the Christian on the team. Now, being a Christian in middle school is not a cool thing, let me tell you, for one. And to be kind of the only practicing Christian is probably the least cool thing you could do on a basketball team. But for some reason, they were coming to this winter retreat with with my church because they had heard that it was fun or that there were plenty of girls. Who knows the reason why? (laughs) And on the last day, there was this worship service going on, and Two seats down from me was this leader who we were sitting and it was um, one of the closing songs and this leader just decides that, you know what, I'm going to stand up and worship God how I want to worship God. And I remember seeing him do this and thinking, I want to do the same thing. And knowing that two or three rows behind me was my basketball team who would make fun of me for being a Christian, I decided that that didn't matter in that moment and I would stand up and worship God. Now, this is a profound time of God in my life, and following God is more important than, uh, I guess, fitting in at the time. But what are some of the God moments in your life, those profound moments where you just feel God's presence? And what became of those moments? Now, Bartimaeus teaches us something. After he encounters God and his sight is restored, Jesus says to him, go, your faith has made you healed. But Bartimaeus doesn't go. 
He does the opposite. He follows. He sticks around. Now, upon being told to go, he doesn't just leave Jesus. He follows Jesus into Jerusalem where Jesus goes through the events of Easter week. Now, this story shows us not that we need a reminder that Jesus could heal a blind person. And in Mark's gospel, he's the most... um, He's not one to waste time or words. And so the story has to have some other sort of meaning, not a reminder that Jesus heals um, sight. But what I think he's telling his readers is something else. And And what I think he's telling his readers is that Bartimaeus exemplifies what it means to follow Jesus. Now these God moments, they're meant for us to follow Jesus as well. When we have these moments, they're calling for us to follow Jesus as well. These callings lead us to work or serve or to love God or to love others, to seek justice in our neighborhoods, in our communities, to join church committees, whatever that might be, standing up for what is right in this world when there are so many things that are wrong. Now, where has God reached down into your life, making you say, I just can't help but follow you? These are the calls that we cannot possibly ignore. Now, if faith is something uh, new to you or something that's been uh, ignored for however many months or days or years or decades, whatever it might be, then the first call applies to you, that we just simply need Jesus. This is our fuel for the journey. And honestly, this call never stops in our lives. We're always brought back to the fact that we need Jesus. Now, for those of us who have been maybe grown up in church or have served in church for a long time, maybe we need a reminder that no matter how much we want Jesus to recognize our merits and how many committees I'm on or how many people I'm serving or what I'm doing Monday through Sunday, maybe we too need a reminder that the only claim that we have on Christ is that we need his grace and his mercy. Now this reminder of needing Christ comes most often for me when I remember God's sovereignty over my life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is very simple. It's Psalm 46.10, and it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted amongst the earth. And this is a reminder of God's sovereignty over my life first and over the entire earth as well. Another example of this is... um, when I hear the song, Shout to the Lord, the, the words, and I'm not going to sing for you today because that's the choir's job. And it says, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. And these moments or these reminders of God's sovereignty are what remind me that God, that I'm in need of God's mercy and in need of God's grace. Now, if you feel that God is calling you deeper or further in faith, Take up his call to make a difference. Now, I like to think of about church ministry in three uh, categories. The first one is, um, I just kind of title it foundation ministry. Now, these are your kind of classic and the quote-unquote required um, ministries of the church. So they're things like trustees, who literally is the foundation of the church, who, you know, hold up the church building, um, finance, SPRC. These are your foundation ministries. It's also your pledges and your prayers that help uh, support this church. The second category is relational ministry. Maybe it's, um, these are ministries that are based around relationship groups like 
uh, children or youth or United Methodist women or uh, senior ministries or whatever it might be, these significant relational groupings, right, that we could kind of group people into. Now, are you drawn towards certain relationship groups that you can help out with? Now, this is my opportunity to shamelessly plug the youth ministry as the youth director. Um, I could use some help. Um, and if you feel called to serve in youth ministry in the smallest or the largest of ways, there's opportunities. The first is that we need um, people to sign up for dinner, and that's out on the table. The second is that um, youth, honestly, they really need, uh, they need people in their lives that are older and have gone through life and um, are actually invested heavily into their lives And so I'm always looking for advisors, people that could just come and form relationships with these youth. That's the aim of my, or that's the end of my uh, shameless plug. The third category is compassion ministry. These are ministries like, um, that are geared towards helping those that don't have the same privileges as us. Um, For example, here we have uh, Family Promise, or we help out at... um, at share bread, right? Or maybe it's starting a new uh, ministry. Maybe it's um, helping um, special needs kids, uh, you know, do do well in school. Or maybe it's um, serving at an elderly or retirement center. Whatever it might be, those those ministries. Now, if there's anything that I want you to take away from today, is that now is your time to answer the call that you've probably been wrestling with. We're all called to be ministers of God's work, whether it's joining a committee here or supporting a relational grouping or um, serving at Family Promise or coming up with your own ministry, whatever it might be, God is calling you. Now I'm going to end my sermon with this um, short story that when I was uh, living in Pasadena a few years back, um, there was, I noticed that there was always someone at the street corner, at the major intersections, just asking for money like many of us have seen around Los Angeles. And where I live, there are multiple uh, homeless people that I would notice walking around. And through a class that I'd taken, I felt called to um, try and be more generous, that generosity was something that God was placing on my heart, that Um, that God wanted me to become more of. And I struck up a relationship with this one gentleman, and he was probably two to three inches taller than me and maybe 80 to 100 pounds heavier than me. So he was a big dude, right? And I struck up a conversation with him, and I would get to know him because he would be at the local Starbucks that I'd be at where I'd be studying. And one day, um, he, he asked me to call him E, and one day we were just talking in the parking lot, and... We're just talking, and somehow we got to the conversation of how cold tonight is. Um, I don't know how we got there, but uh, we just started talking about it. And he remembered this time, he told me this story, that he remembered this time where he was so cold and that he had just bought one of those little tea light candles, those small little circular ones, right, and had used it and lit it and had put it under his shirt as his source of warmth for the night, right? And at that moment, I remembered that God was calling me to be more generous, and Lucky me, I'm wearing my, uh, my heaviest, my warmest, my largest jacket and my most favorite jacket at the time. And at that time, I just decided to give it to this gentleman, knowing that he could use it a lot more than I could. Now, I remembered my call to be generous. And at that point, 
I decided that this was the way to answer that call. And so whatever that is for you, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever God is placing over your, your life, whether it's something large like, I don't know, maybe some people are called to you know, pick up their life and move sometimes. Maybe it's just something simple to uh, call or to message that person that you haven't seen for a while and just have coffee with them or lunch with them. Whatever it might be, I think now is your time to do that.